want to thank all of our listeners for several years of dedicated and loyal listening throughout the Halo Talks 400 podcast completed to date. We're going to 1,000 by 2024. If you're so inclined, we'd love to have you go to iTunes for us, fill out a review so we can keep this podcast rolling globally. We are now on Chartable's top lists and moving up the charts. Also, if you want to educate yourself in the new year, please go to thehaloacademy.com. Take a look at what we've done with 150 executives in the Halo sector to get them smarter, get them prepared for capital raises, and also more winning. Thanks. Have a great season. Let's go. This is Pete Moore on Halo Talks NYC. I have the pleasure of bringing a legal expert and a advocate of sports and fitness and capital meeting at a crossroads to build great businesses. Brian Sokolow from Loeb and Loeb. Welcome to your first Halo Talks. Thanks, Pete. It's great to be here with you. Excited to have our conversation today. Yeah, we recently met and uh, I want to make sure we got you on as quickly as possible because there are a lot of deals that are going to be happening in and around the industry now that we're at a post-COVID, uh, you know, new normal, if you will. Um, and a lot of entrepreneurs think, you know, hey, I'm going to go find a private equity partner and, uh, you know, I'm off to the races. But there's kind of a checklist of psychology as well as legal uh, components of doing that deal. So, you know, maybe you could talk a little bit of your background and, you know, what you've seen. And then we can kind of riff about some of the considerations people need to make before they kind of jump into that type of uh, type of new normal on their own with running their business. Yeah, so I'll give you a little bit of background on me and my firm and then talk about what we're seeing in the space and what might be helpful. So right. I'm a partner at the law firm of Loeb & Loeb. We are based in the United States, have a number of offices in the United States. We're 100 plus years old. And we do a lot of work, I'll say, first in the entertainment, intellectual property, media, technology space. All sorts of deals, typically middle market, some bigger than that, some smaller than that, some startup companies, a good mix. I'm, in the, I'm the co-chair of our sports practice group. So with, as the co-chair of the sports practice group, I see many different kinds of deals in sports. Some are buying and selling major league sports franchises, which are big ticket items. Some are startup companies that have a great technology idea that they're trying to monetize and trying to just figure out how they can get investment and grow. And a lot are in the middle there. It's, it's technology, it's media and sports, it's about fan engagement in sports, anything touching on sports and sort of more broadly than that, the health and wellness space, which is really, really big right now in terms of what I see for potential deals. So what we do is we work with, sometimes it's an established company, they're, they're looking for an exit or they're looking for investment. Sometimes it's just a startup company that, does, has anything from, hey, I've got a really good idea in the wellness space. What can we do about this? And what we'll try and do as attorneys in that case is say, okay, let's understand your idea. Let's figure out how we can protect it. Let's figure out how we can monetize it and help you grow a business. So it's a lot of those type of deals. And it's everything that you see in between there with those companies. It's they need to hire employees. They need to get intellectual property protection. They're doing licensing agreements. Sometimes they're buying and selling other companies so they can get the, the, the aggregation that is really going to help them grow. So we're involved in all those deals. And for me, it's really exciting to do it in the health and wellness space because there's, as you know, so much going on. 
so many deals out there, so many different, I'll call them new technologies that are really coming to the forefront. And we'd love to get involved with those and see how we can help our clients. Yeah, that's great. I mean, we're, we're mostly on the, on the business side, um, you know, making sure that there's something that is, has a competitive advantage or has IP protection, uh, or maybe have some clients that are already under contract, generate revenue, and it's really, you know, bringing in capital to the scale. You know, as, as you take a look at people that come in, you know, either with a PowerPoint or with, you know, maybe like version one of their software, you know, not necessarily, uh, most law firms are, aren't necessarily designed as yours to basically be almost like a business consultant as well. So yeah, you always use this term and I'm sure you use some iteration of it, but you know, experience is what you get when you don't get what you want. So a lot of what I do is kind of storytelling, you know, you know, based on historical other deals to say, look, this is where you're kind of going to hit a wall. Um, well, this is what you really need to do to figure out what frustration you're solving and what that means to someone and how to price your product accordingly. So can you talk a little bit about, you know, when you tell someone, hey, look, I know you want to raise capital, but let me tell you what you should do before you actually go to that next step, because you might be, you know, disenfranchised when you get there based on the questions people are going to ask. It, it's exactly right. I think we speak the same language, Pete, from a slightly different perspective, because what we try to be is, yes, we're the lawyers and we can draft the document. And that's really important that you do it right. But because we see a lot going on in the marketplace, we also try to be sort of the trusted consultants that, hey, look, this is how you should think about approaching this from a business perspective. And they got people like you who really can hone in on that. Um, and we try to help them with that too, just because we, we see a lot of things out there. And it's really important for somebody who has that idea or just has that first pitch deck, like you say, to understand what are they getting into. The first thing is when they present that, do they, do they have a coherent story? And that starts with even the basics of what's your company? Right. Do, you have, do you have the proper corporate form to do this? That's where we start because investors are going to want to know that. What am I investing into? So you start there. They need to know and they really need to be prepared with what's their intellectual property. Because a lot of what we do as we're talking about is somebody's got a great idea and that's terrific. But ideas are just ideas. Generally, they're not protected and you have to have some fixed form of expression of that idea to get intellectual property protection. So what's your idea? Is it protectable? How can you protect it? And then how do you work around that in what, whatever stage you're in? You need to enter it into an NDA in order to start the discussion or what can you do to protect that IP? And then from there, it's what are you doing to exploit that IP and monetize it? or your business, and what's your business model? How are you doing that? Are you entering into contracts with others? Do you have contracts with others that you need to, or do you just have some sort of informal relationship? Because what I tell clients is, if I'm an investor and your business is based on having relationships with certain people, well, if those are material contracts, are they written contracts, are they enforceable? What do I need to know about those to make sure that you have these sort of underpinnings of the business and the value that you're going to be able to take out there and seek investment for or seek somebody who might want to buy your company or something like that. So sometime for dealing with just those basics, make sure everything is in order. If they are from there, you get to a higher level. I'll call it sort of, um, you know, presentation deck 2.0. And that is what's the story that you're telling? 
what what were you what were you solving for in terms of a, a marketplace gap or or a vision that you see? How are you doing that? That's really important. And then when you drill down on that, it's okay. What are the resources available to you? Do you have the money that you need, or are you going to need to go out and raise money? Do you have the other resources, personnel in place that are going to help you do that? And some clients that, that we deal with, they get all that and they have it and it's perfect. And some need some help with that. And that's what we try to do because when you get into those discussions, those are the questions that are going to be asked. What are your material contracts? Who are the people that you have who are doing this? How are you going to monetize the technology that you have or really go after that market opportunity? And we try to make sure from a legal perspective that they are protected in doing that. Most of the time it happens, but there are some difficult conversations. And one, one is what you just mentioned. Sometimes clients, they need money. How are they going to get that money? Are they going to take investors and they're going to provide a piece of equity in their company? The advice that I give clients is if you don't have to give up equity, don't. But there right. are times when it makes sense for you to, and you, sh you should really consider how you do that because that, that's really a key thing. The two biggest obstacles that I see for those companies are having enough capital and then having the resources in place. And by that, I mean, so it's not all just one person to trying to do everything. They need people to help them. If you can solve those two problems, and that's where you come in in a lot of ways, then you have a, a good chance of succeeding. Yeah. Yeah, I read, I read a lot of contracts and people say, oh, I've got this deal with XYZ large company. And then you read the, the term and there's a 30-day out on behalf of either party. And you say, okay, that's the clause that you should have actually focused on because this contract doesn't actually have any real, you know, long-term value uh, if somebody wakes up and decides that they don't want to continue this, this partnership. You know, it seems to me that maybe it's every five years, maybe it's every 10 years. I've only been doing this for 28 years, but I've seen, there's been cycles where law firms have said, hey, I'm going to help these, these early stage companies. The market's hot. I'm going to do, you know, services for equity, uh, or I'm going to let you kind of accrue a big IP bill. And then, you know, we think that when you get capital, you're going to pay us back. Um, and then that kind of dries up and they say, hey, look, this is a client relationship here and we're not basically um, a pro bono law firm. So how have you kind of dealt with some of those maybe uncomfortable conversations, but to say, hey, look, I'm not, you know, like a venture capital investor and I'm not providing services in kind um, because even though I love you and I love your idea and I think you can be successful, you know, everyone who's like, I'm the next Uber of this or I'm the next Peloton of that typically aren't. Yeah, that's right. And we have those conversations. And, you know, for us, it's maybe it's a little bit easy because we generally will stay away from the, the model of we'll take equity and, and we'll get paid through equity when something happens. We rarely, if ever, do that. So it makes it easier to have that conversation. But that said, we're an entrepreneurial firm. We do represent startup companies and early stage companies. And we understand that some of them have, you know, cash flow issues or an adjunct. We try to work with them, try to be flexible. You know, for our law firm, we have to do that. So it's a mix. You find what works for the client. Usually we find something that works for us too, and, and you figure it out. But you're right. It's, uh, we try to stay away from forced pro bono work in that situation. Yeah. You know, one of the things that um, early entrepreneurs come to the table and they automatically say, well, my company's got to be worth at least $5 million free money, or it's got to be worth $10 million free money. And I usually tell them it doesn't. 
Um, you know, there has to be some something that you're bringing to the table. In certain instances, that might be, hey, I've got one person from Google, I got one person from Microsoft, and I got one person from Netflix. And that might, you know, create enough pre-equity value just by putting that team together. Um, so when you go to market, you know, maybe it's not your decision as the law firm, but you say, hey, I'm going to take on this deal and all you have is a return on your own time and your law firm's time. You know, I try to have these conversations up front to say, this is what I think the market is going to return. Most people, by the way, 80% are going to say no. So get used to the word no um, and know that that's part of the process. But also, you know, finding the right partner might be more important than what your pre-money valuation is. So how do you help people understand that getting to the next level and selling equity, whether that's minority or majority or the bells and whistles that kind of come with a venture capital round, you know, that is what the market speaks. And when the market speaks and you have enough data points, that is what you have to live with. Or the reality is you go it alone and you try and bootstrap it for X number of more months or years. We try to be very realistic with our clients and try to set their expectations. That's a big part about being a lawyer in this space is managing the expectations of the client because you're right. Everybody thinks that they're the next Peloton or the next Uber. I would say everybody. A lot of clients think that they have that type of market opportunity. Maybe some of them do, but a lot of them don't. So we try to be realistic with them. Let them know what the process is and let them know what's happening out in the marketplace. That's hopefully some of the added value that we can provide. And we'll tell them, you know, based on your balance sheet, based on where you are with the development of your IP, based on all these other factors, you're going to have to look, you're going to really have to find an investor who fits here because the, the, the usual story that you might want to tell by saying our EBITDA is this, our revenues are that, it's not going to work here. You're going to have to find somebody who understands the space, whatever that might be, and sees the value in what you're doing. And that's not typically not just your average uh, private equity investor who's going to say, yeah, I'm going to do this. And they're going to see that. You have to find people that it could be a narrow range of people um, who are really going to see that. And we'll try to, where we can, recommend some of the people we know in that space. But we try to be very clear about the expectations and how it's going to be, in some cases, a difficult road to find the right person. And you absolutely want to find the right person. It's just, you know, it's great that if a client just gets money from whatever source, it's really important. But if it's not coming from the right source, it creates all sorts of headaches. That, that the investor might be too involved, not have the connections that are needed, whatever it might be. And there's a temptation to just take that first money, but sometimes it's not the best thing to do. And you want to make sure you find the right fit. Yeah. One, one of the things you brought up here that I think is super important. And, and one of the reasons why I tell people, um, you know, hire, hire a law firm that has done this before. And also to be able to leverage their relationships. I think a lot of entrepreneurs don't fully appreciate, not to toot my own horn, but for a second, if Integrity Square contacts X private equity firm, and I'm talking to the managing partner of that private equity firm, there's a level of credibility that comes with that delivery of that opportunity. And I think the same thing when it comes from Loeb and Loeb, or if it comes from a Cooley, or if it comes from a certain type of law firm that is very active in the space, that there is some level of a stamp of approval on an opportunity. And if it goes through a certain channel inside a venture firm or a private equity firm, it has a lot more credibility and has a higher ability 
to actually get to the right decision makers. And that matters. So maybe you can comment on that. I think that's absolutely true. And what we tell clients, and I have this conversation is based on the relationships that we have and, you know, Loeb and Loeb is, is, uh, you know, pretty good name out there, hopefully. And, and we've got a lot of clients in, in different areas and I'll tell clients, look, I can help open a door. I can't, I can't make the decision maker decide one way or the other, but I can, I can open the door and get you to the right person. And sometimes that's half the battle because if you've got that really good story and you, and it really is something that, that is going to obtain that interest from people, just getting it to the right person really gets you there. So we try to offer those services, no guarantees about what happens, but I think that's important for a lawyer because, you know, as I said, there are many law, great law firms out there who can prepare documents and draft things. And, and that's really important to do. But what we say is where we can add values through those relationships and connections and maybe open a door for you that, that might be difficult to open. And if we're doing that, I think we are adding value and, and at least advancing the process for the client. Yeah, a lot of early stage companies we work with typically don't have a board of directors. Um, sometimes more than likely don't have an advisory board. Um, and I find that uh, not to create a website that has 20 people you know that allow you to put their name you know, on your website as part of your advisory board or some kind of committee. At some point, it kind of, it looks fake. Um, but at, at other times, if you have like, you know, four or five, you know, well-heeled people that are willing to become a mentor. Um, you know, I went to Harvard Business School and there's no shortage of alumni that want to help other, you know, alumni that are younger, you know, get to the next level and help them further their, their business careers and, and their business ideas if it resonates with them personally. Um, so what are your thoughts on, you know, companies coming to you and saying, hey, look, not only am I structured properly, I've got an operating agreement, but I also have like a, a, a real board of directors that's in place. And also, I think maybe lends itself to the negotiation with a venture firm to say, hey, look, I'm going to give you one or two seats on a board. And it's not, you know, my brother, my cousin, myself and my CTO. Yeah. And, you know, usually in a lot of cases, if it is your brother and your cousin and your CTO were on the board, my experience is that just creates sort of a, a bad impression that you want to avoid. Right. It's important to have a real board. And that goes back to what we talked about before. And that is, who are you? Who are your investors? Because chances are that you're going to have your investors who are on your board and maybe you'll have some independent people or others in the industry, but it's going to be your investors. You want to show that. You want to have quality people on the board. That's how you start. And that's part of your storytelling. And that's really part of how you sell yourself as a company. We are set up properly. We've got all of the legal and corporate governance issues in place. Look at our board. This is how we operate. That's really important. And the other piece of it is, if you're a new company, you want to have that board because these are people that you can rely on for things. It goes back to the thought that I had, which is one of the biggest issues that companies have is they don't have the resources in place. It's all just the founder to start. And you need to break out of that. One of the ways that you, can, that you bring quality people in that you can rely on for certain things. And whether you want to call that an advisory board or whether that's your actual board of directors, that's something to figure out. But you want those people in place so that you can rely on them for things that come up. What's our strategy? Where should we go to look for money? Um, how do we deal with regulatory or government issues? 
if you've got these quality people with experience who are affiliated with your company, it makes a huge difference. And you'll learn as that, that founder of the early stage company, you're not going to be able to do it all yourself. You have to have those people in place. So it's absolutely crucial you do that from the start. Yeah, look, there's, um, there's a number of entrepreneurs that say, yeah, I took this round of venture capital. I wish I never did that. Um, you know, and, and maybe part of that is related to there wasn't a clearly established game plan or decision-making process in place or to understand that if I sell majority control of my company, I am now an employee of this company. I might have a pretty healthy equity stake in the business, but I am no longer the sole decision-maker. And I feel like a number of entrepreneurs, regardless of how much they sell the company, feel like they're renting capital and they are basically um, need to report back on how they're doing with the capital. Instead of fully recognizing that I am running this company, I am at the mercy or at the, you know, um, the approval of the board on where I'm going to go. And to kind of turn into an entrepreneur who, you know, the glass is always half full. Here's my pipeline report. Um, you know, we're really close to getting all these deals to how many deals have gotten done, how many are in LOI fees, how many are in red line. Um, you know, you can convince yourself as an entrepreneur that things are going well. And then you can get a dose of cold water by the board to say, hey, look, you know, you're not meeting what you said. Maybe that's not you. Maybe it's the market. Maybe it's the clients. Maybe it's the sales cycle. So how do you kind of not only become the lawyer, but you become almost like the, the coach or the therapist, if you will, to say, look, before you sign this deal, let's talk about what your day is going to be like and how you're going to have to change the way you think. Huge change in mindset, and it comes up all the time. I work with a lot of, I'll call them entrepreneurs or company founders in different stages who either take on investment or they sell their company and they go from, it's my business, I make all the decisions, I run it, and it's really their identity right. to, I now I'm an employee or I report to a board or I have to get approval for certain things. Just a tremendous change in mindset. And, you know, candidly, some are better than others at, at really bridging those two worlds. Um, I've had a number of clients. It's a difficult change for them. And you're right. Part of my job is to be the therapist. And that's a big discussion that you have with somebody in that situation as you're going into that deal. Your life is going to change. You are going to be the employee. You are going to have reporting requirements. It's not going to be your business to run as you want, do the things that you want. And it's really important to have that discussion because, again, it sets expectations. And without that, it could be really difficult. Some people are good at it. They understand all that, especially if you have entrepreneurs who've gone through it before. Right. In some cases, they're happy to do it because that means that they essentially get to offload a little bit of the responsibility and the decision making and, and sometimes the stress of being in that position but it's crucial that they understand those differences because the really, really big differences in what they do for a company and then how the company is going to be run going forward. Yeah. And if you're, if you're a venture capital backed business, it's very difficult to get money out of a cap raise when you're going out for a growth equity round. If you're a later stage business and you're taking on a growth equity partner, my advice has always been to take some money off the table because you don't know what that relationship is going to hold. And even though the website and the reference checks say that these people and this firm is 
you know, flexible capital and they're partners with you, you know, in the good times and bad. When the bad times take too long and you're sitting in a valley, um, you know, people's egos change and, you know, people think, oh, well, what did these, did these guys sell me a lemon? You know, let me go back to the original agreement and see what we said and what their budget was and what their projections and a hockey stick were. Um, you know, and you get kind of crosshair with your investor and typically things need to get addressed quickly. Um, and you got to air it out and, and figure out where you are in the relationship because the communication is key. And once that breaks down, you know, bad things happen. And part of that is you go all the way back. And this is the discussion I have with my clients all the time before they, before we sign an NDA, what do you know about this group or this person that's going to be an investor in your company? Are you comfortable with them? Do you think they're trustworthy? Have you done your due diligence on them? Because it's like a marriage. I mean, you hear it's a, a trite saying, but it's really true. And you have to go into that relationship, eyes open on what's going to be required of you and how these people act in that situation. And I, I've, seen, I've seen, fortunately for my clients, a number of times where the investor has come in, done exactly what they're going to say and been just a model investor and it's a great relationship. And some other times where it's a lot more difficult than that, and it's rocky. So you really need to make sure that you're going to be comfortable with whoever that is coming in. And again, that's reaching out at the start of the process, reaching out to your lawyer, to your business advisor, whoever it might be that's going to be able to counsel you on whether you should do that deal anyway and bring the right person. So you start there. And then, yeah, you really have to be, um, I guess, primed for, because there are always ups and downs in those type of relationships. For things not always to go according to plan, how are you going to deal with it? Communication is key. Setting the expectations is key. Being honest is key and trustworthy. Um, usually, if you're those things, you can come through it pretty well, but it definitely poses its challenges. Yeah, and one of the things that, that irritates me when I find out someone's doing a deal with a private equity firm or a venture firm, and I say, how many references did you check with other CEOs they partner with and they say, oh, they gave me a list, but I haven't called them yet. That is like exhibit A on making sure that this relationship is built to last, is that you've done as much diligence on them as, as they've done on you. So I think that's it's a, absolutely a, a right. key takeaway. And, and, and you need to do it. And usually when you have those calls, I mean, you take it with a grain of salt based on the relationship, but it's important to have the calls. And usually if there's something sort of amiss in the relationship that you should know about, Usually, somehow you're going to be able to to figure that out in the discussion. So I agree that it's really important. It, why not take advantage of that? It it's, might be the best information that you can get, and you really need to do it. Yeah. Well, look, Brian, it's been great having you on. I look forward to meeting you in person here. I think this gives people a little bit of a uh, outline on how to think about uh, 2023 and uh, capital raising and the pros and cons of that. So uh, we'll have your information up there. You'll be a uh, a guiding light for some of our Hilo entrepreneurs and uh, look forward to doing work with you guys. That's great. Thanks a lot for having me, Pete. This awesome. is great. Yeah, good to see you. All right, you too.